Good morning and welcome to another edition of the Morning Devotional. My name is Pastor William Hill. I'm the pastor of Providence Presbyterian Church located in Evansville, Indiana. Today is um, Thursday, December 1st, 2022. This is edition number one of season seven of the Morning Devotional. We now um, will begin looking at the historical book of Joshua as we work our way once again uh, through um, uh, through a book of God's Word, extracting from it uh, various items and applications that might be useful uh, for God's people. Trust they are, and I hope that this time uh, through this book will be of some use. More about that in just a minute. Let's pray, and then we'll, um, we'll consider Joshua chapter 1 after dealing with some introductory matters, uh, both to this uh, season as well as um, to the book itself. Let's pray. Father, as we now come to your word, we uh, come uh, with anticipation of a new study through, um, through this historical work, a work that highlights so much your work in us as we pilgrim to our promised rest. We pray that you would give us grace and strength to understand the things that we will be dealing with. We pray for your mercy and kindness uh, even now. Help us, we pray, by your spirit, for Christ's sake. Amen. Well, first, just a few introductory remarks regarding um, this season, season seven. It's going to be a relatively short um, trip through the book of Joshua. Um, the first 12 chapters we'll deal with individually, one chapter at a time. Chapters 13 through 19, however, um, we will deal with in one devotional. Now, that's going to present a problem, I realize, for some who are reading along with these devotionals. Uh, what I would recommend you do is when you get to Joshua 13, what, what you note there in that chapter is that, that the inheritances of the, nation, of the tribes of Israel um, are, are distributed at this point in the book, and that continues really from chapter 13 all the way through 19. There are some uh, important items to deal with uh, within that section, um, um, but all that to say, uh, I will deal with those chapters as a unit. So if you're going to read along with these devotionals, my recommendation is to simply read a couple of the chapters that deal with the inheritances being distributed. Much of what is said is repeated uh, with some important items here and there, but by and large, it is um, one big uh, continuous theme and thread throughout those chapters. When I preached through the book of Joshua, I did this in one sermon, so my recommendation is to simply read a couple of the chapters that are there. We will deal with chapter 14, verses 6 through 15, as one separate devotional. It's very important. It's the distributing of the inheritance to Caleb and what that teaches us. And then I will um, address um, chapters 20 through 24, each individually. So chapter 20 will be one devotional, and 21 will be a, another devotional, and so forth, to the end of the book. And so it ends up being approximately 19, um, 19 editions uh, that will carry us through uh, the, uh, the month of uh, December, and then there will be a break, uh, a period, a, a time off from the devotionals. For me, I will be away on vacation at the end of December into the new year. And then season eight is already being planned, but it will be a devotional through the Westminster Confession of Faith, beginning with chapter one, paragraph one. And we're going to work our way right through the book. This coincides with a project I am working on 
in, in, in seeking to get published, and that is a book on the Westminster Confession of Faith, a devotional look, one day at a time <clears throat> through the year, uh, to look at the Westminster Standards and how they can benefit God's people, not only from a theological point of view, but also a pastoral practical point of view as well. So that'll work together at the same time. As I'm working on the book, I will be working on these devotionals as well. So that'll begin in January at some point. But for now, our attention is given to the book of Joshua. It's a book that you probably know is uh, that which the second generation of Israel now is about to cross the promised land and will indeed cross into the promised land. It is really a book of war. There's quite a few instance, instances in the book in which there's a, 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 there's a battle that goes on with the current inhabitants of the land uh, against those, that, uh, those of God's people. Now, this is a picture for us. This book is designed to help the church realize that we are the church militant. We are engaged in a battle. We are engaged in spiritual warfare against the world, the flesh, and the devil. And we are to battle on, we are to fight on until the Lord returns or until we enter our eternal rest. Uh, this battle is pictured, of course, in the taking of the promised land. It is that picture that we hope for, the promised land yet to come in the new heavens and the new earth. Uh, right understanding of eschatology does not long for a sliver of land in the middle, of, in the middle East but it longs for a better country, a greater country, and that is the one the Lord will provide for us uh, in the new heavens and the new earth. But this book pictures for us really our growth in grace and sanctification and our battle against the world, the flesh, and the devil. We're going to see various themes that come out through this book as we consider the various chapters that are given to us here. And so as we consider this book, it's important to consider the author. The author is... Uh, unknown, frankly. We don't really know who uh, the author is. Um, uh, the, the, as one commentator says, the book's author is, is not explicitly mentioned. The Talmud, a collection of ancient writings by rabbis on Jewish law and tradition, ascribes the book with the exception of the account of Joshua's death to Joshua himself. And so, whoever it is that wrote this, it's written for our instruction as all all scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for God's people. And so as we consider this book, we need to keep in mind that this book is teaching us something about the Christian life and how we are to wage war against the things that I've already mentioned. So with all that background and introductory matter behind us, let's look at Joshua chapter 1. Two main themes come forward here in this opening chapter. We see first the reassurance of God to the man of God that he chose to lead the people. Now it's important to realize in the first uh, nine verses of the chapter, we have a man who is now taking the mantle of responsibility of leadership from, uh, from Moses. Arguably the greatest figure in the Bible outside of Christ is Moses himself. And Joshua now is standing uh, in his shadow. He is uh, assuming the role and responsibility of that which Moses previously held in the opening lines of the verse of the book, tell us, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. And so this weight is great upon Joshua. Now we need to remember that Joshua did not rise to this position on his own, uh, due to his own, uh, his own um, 
uh, desires necessarily. He did not advertise himself. He was chosen by God to do this very work, and God places him in this role of responsibility. Now, this happened previously, pre- much, uh, much o- earlier than this book itself and the details and the events that will occur within it. But the fact remains that Joshua was ordained by God uh, to do this work, to lead the people of God in, in these things that we will consider through the next number of days. Now, that's instructive for the church, of course. We don't, uh, we don't uh, men do not ordain themselves. Men do not, um, uh, they do not uh, assign themselves positions of authority uh, within the church. That is something that the Spirit of God does. He, he, he is the one who, who um, uh, draws men out from within the congregation to lead his people. And he did that here with Joshua, and he does that today in the um, installation of elders and deacons and pastors within the church. And so we don't wake up one morning and decide to be a pastor. Uh, that is something that is examined, it's vetted, it's tested, and it's, um, and it's that which the Spirit of God ultimately does. He does, he does it through means, um, of course, as we've discussed even when we were going through the book of Exodus, but it is that which the Lord does. And so this is a man, Joshua, who has this great responsibility placed upon him by the Lord himself. And undoubtedly, like any man, any man uh, it is a daunting responsibility. It's, there's a great burden that is uh, no doubt felt by Joshua, the responsibility of leading these people and, and guiding them in the things of the Lord falls to him um, at this point in his life. And so it's not unsurprising that God would seek to assure Joshua of his presence, to assure him of his promises, to help him as he crosses this threshold from one who was a servant of Moses to now the leader of the people of God. And so in verses 2 through um, uh, verse 9, God seeks to assure and reassure Joshua of his presence with him. And that, of course, is comforting to us as God's people today living in this world. We, uh, we often need to be reassured of the Lord's presence, His promises that He's made. He makes great promises in this chapter that all that, the, all that God is going to give to the people will be theirs. They will, they will conquer the land. They will go to that place um, that He has promised, and they will be victorious. No man shall stand before them all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. And Joshua has witnessed how the Lord was with Moses. And now he is being comforted and reassured with that same truth and reality that God would be with him as well. I will not leave you or forsake you. And then he gives some, uh, some exhortation in verses 6 through 9. He tells him to be strong and courageous and, and, um, and to meditate upon God's law, to be faithful and careful to do all that is therein. Now, of course, that's instructive for us as well as we face the world, the flesh, and the devil. Our only weapon is the Word of God. We must be faithful to read it. We must be faithful to meditate upon it. Reading it by itself with no thought, no care, it doesn't do a whole lot. We, we need to meditate deeply on God's Word. We, we must not rush over it. We must think through it and think on it often. We must memorize the Word of God. We must allow it to marinate in our thoughts, in our hearts, our minds, day after day. 
We do that so that we might be careful to do all that it says. We certainly can't obey God if we don't know what he has said. Of course, that's no excuse, but the fact remains is that uh, we have God's word, the privilege of it in our own language. We can read it, understand it. We have helpers and teachers in the church to give guidance in this area. We have elders who are trained in this department. We have pastors who have been trained in this department. We need to utilize all of those benefits and privileges that we might meditate on God's word, that we might, might draw strength from the, the things that God has told us, the promises he offers to us. And so he does that for Joshua, and undoubtedly he is comforted by the very, the very fact of these promises and the very exhortation that God gives to him. Following this uh, time of encouragement for Joshua, um, Joshua goes and he does all that he was told to do. And he commands the people um, various sundry details. And what they, they do is they commit themselves to be obedient. In verse 16, we see that. And they answered Joshua, all that you have commanded us, we will do. And whatever you, wherever you send us, we will go. Just as we obeyed Moses in all things, so we will obey you. Now, it's vitally important, of course, uh, when we think about this in the life of the church, each Lord's Day, a man of God uh, ordained to preach the gospel, stands before the people of God and and says, thus saith the Lord. He preaches the word of God. What else should he be doing? And so he gives to them the word of God. And one of the greatest compliments for any pastor is when the people of God, charged to his care, actually do what they hear in the sermons week after week after week. Um, it's vitally, it's far more encouraging. I got to tell you, as a pastor, it's far more encouraging to see people obey what they hear preached than it is to hear the niceties and the compliments. And those things are nice and they have their place. But at the end of the day, what a pastor longs to see is that their, that their people grow in godliness and holiness and they heed the word of God as it's proclaimed each Lord's Day. And so here the people do that. that. That itself had to be some sense, had to be some sort of encouragement for Joshua. Not only the encouragement of God himself speaking, ringing in his ears, but also this commitment that the people have to be obedient to that which they're told. And so we too in the church, we, we must be also obedient to what we hear. We draw encouragement from the Lord when we respond, not as mere hearers of the word, but doers of it as well. And so this chapter really is foundational. It sets the stage and the, it, it sets the beginning of the encounters that will occur as we move forward into the book. The man of God is dead. Moses is gone. Joshua assumes this responsibility. He is encouraged and assured by the Lord of his presence. And then he is encouraged once again by the response of the people, who really are not responding to Joshua, but they're responding to the directives of God. Well, I trust these times are helpful for you. I hope they are. If you have any comments or questions, you can leave me a note. The way to reach me is there before you on the screen. And so until the Friday edition, when we look at Joshua chapter 2, may the Lord help you today. May you hear him and then do that which he tells you. God bless.